welcome to Sagas of Seraphim Falls. I'm your host, T.R. Toth, and I would like to invite you to take time from your hectic schedule to join me in listening to a story about some of our residents and guests in the small town of Seraphim Falls. They all have their own stories, and this is just one of the many. Today we have something that is more of a treat than a trick this Halloween. It's an exclusive reading of the first story in the book, Seraphim Falls. It is about a young author who has had a lot of success with their novels. But just like how we view celebrities, their lives are not always what they appear to be. So sit back with your potion or witch's brew of choice, dim the lights, and get ready for the spine-tingling tale of Keystroke. Emma was in trouble. She ran her fingers through her hair, digging at the scalp as they raked Rose through the dark, tangled mess. Her elbows were starting to turn white because of the pressure she was putting on them to support her head. She sighed heavily and slumped back in the black chair at her desk before leaning forward and grabbing a bottle of aspirin to help with her pounding headache. She reached for the remainder of the stale cup of coffee she had on her desk from earlier this morning. Emma swigged back the brown, bitter liquid and said a prayer that this would work as well as help her get out of the mess she was in right now. He's going to kill me. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to come up with something. Trying as hard as she could, Emma still sat in front of the computer, blank screen staring back at her. The sound of the bathroom faucet dripping in the next room and the ceiling fanned overhead making its same unbalanced hum did little to help ease her headache. This is it. You can do this, Em. She gingerly placed her fingers on the keyboard and willed herself to start writing. Nothing happened. She collapsed her head on top of her folded arms on the desk. Was it dramatic? Yes. But it did make her feel better. A a little. When she was younger, her mother wanted her to go to those shady auditions that were looking for the next big child star. But Emma saw them for what they were. Cattle calls for pedophiles and refused to go. Emma pushed herself away from the desk in exasperation and walked into the kitchen to refill her cup of coffee. In her experience, caffeine has done wonders to not only improve her headache, but her mood, too. Her calico cat, Anastasia, wound her way between Emma's legs. I don't know why I can't come up with anything, she said while bending down and picking up the cat. Emma placed her on the counter next to the coffee maker and gave her a few scratches behind the ears before refilling her mug. As the coffee enticed her with its smell, Emma tried to think of an idea for her newest book. I used to have so many great ideas, now I can't come up with anything. After all, she was the famous Emma Greatwater, the author of the best-selling Bloodsuckers in Love YA novels. Not only had the first two reached the top of the New York Times bestsellers list, but they had been made into feature films and started the careers of three of the hottest stars today. Emma, getting heat from her editor to write the next book before her readers cooled down for the dreamy but cocky vampire teen and his moody but beautiful mortal girlfriend. 
She scratched behind Anna's ear, left the room, and padded down the hallway back to her office. It was brightly decorated with photographs of vacations Emma had gone on and artwork from her favorite artist, Frida Kahlo. Along a thin shelf, she had various photos from childhood, her college years, and more recent ones. What usually stirred Emma's creativity, especially when she was in a dry spell like now, was a photo she took of Ernest Hemingway's office in Key West. Living and writing in Key West was a dream of hers, and this photo of the tropical town was a reminder that maybe, someday, she could be just like Hemingway, going to the beach, petting lots of cats, and writing to her heart's content. This time, while she was looking at the photo, Emma was drawn to the black object seated in the center of his desk, surrounded by various hunting trophies and adventure photos. Its sleek black lines and shiny metallic push-button keys immediately put a longing in Emma's heart. Maybe that's what I need to serve as my muse, she said. Even if I would use this typewriter just to brainstorm, it might solve my writer's block. Emma put her coffee cup on the desk and left to get her winter coat from the hall closet. She grabbed her hand-crocheted beret and bundled up to fight against the blustery autumn afternoon. Emma fought against the wind to pull the door shut behind her as she left for her car. As she turned her blue SUV into the parking lot of Grandma Treasures, a local thrift store, she crossed her fingers hoping to find what she was desperately looking for. After all, Emma was pretty sure her local Walmart wouldn't have the typewriter she wanted if they had any at all. With so many people depending on computers, she was doubtful anyone would need one. Emma got out of her car, walked to the store's front entrance. She pushed the door open and a little bell softly jingled overhead. The large front room was dimly lit by overhead lights and antique lamps scattered among side tables. Treasures and junk were scattered from floor to ceiling, thrown together in what seemed like a nonsensical order. The air smelled like a perfume of musk, mothballs, and an old man's aftershave. Emma daintily made her way through the room, stepping over piles of old sewing patterns, ancient books, and dishware with spiderwebbed cracks. As she was passing a shelf crammed to the brim with clown figurines and carnival glass, Emma found something that took her breath away. There it was. In a darkened corner, Left alone and forgotten, sat a worn, black typewriter. It was similar in style to the one Hemingway had on his desk. Emma bent down, blew a thick layer of dust off the machine, and flipped over a tag that had $25 written on it. She carefully picked up her prize, which was heavier than she thought, and cradled it lovingly like a child comforting a stray puppy. After navigating a path through the store, Emma plunked down the typewriter in front of the elderly man behind the counter, who was engrossed with the morning's newspaper crossword puzzle. He was bald, and the nearby lamplight shone off of him like a lighthouse bringing in stray shoppers as ships in the night carrying in cargo. Emma inhaled deeply and found the source of the aftershave she had smelled when she first walked in. It was so strong, Emma swore she could taste it in the back of her throat. The clerk took off his glasses that he wore down on the tip of his nose and put them on top of the puzzle he had set down when he saw her coming. I forgot we had one of these, he said. He had a kindly smile, the sort a grandfather reserves for his grandchildren. You do know how to use it, don't you? If anyone else would have said this to Emma, she would have taken personal offense, 
But seeing how sweet he seemed and the look of reminiscing on his face as he handled the well-worked keys, she let it slide. I think I can figure it out, she said. The man nodded and reached under the counter to grab a liquor box to nestle the piece of mid-century technology in for safe traveling. If you don't mind me asking, in this day of computers, what are you going to do with this old typewriter? The man rung up Emma's purchase, took her money, and placed it inside of a cash register that looked like it belonged behind a soda fountain in the late 1800s. I'm hoping it'll provide some inspiration. I'm a writer and I've hit a dry spell. Maybe it will bring me luck. The shopkeeper returned her change and slid the box across the glass countertop. Oh, I'm sure you won't have a problem coming up with new ideas now, he said. Best of luck to you. Emma thanked him and took the box to the car. She knew it was silly, but she couldn't help strapping it into the seat next to her. She wasn't sure how delicate the antiquated equipment was, and she didn't want to have to scour eBay for replacement parts. After pulling into her parking spot in front of her apartment building, Emma cursed herself for renting a place on the sixth floor without an elevator. She lugged the typewriter up all six flights of steps without needing to stop for a break. Emma felt all her time doing cardio at the local gym was starting to pay off. When she reached the door to her apartment, she put the box on the ground and dug out her keys. But when she put the key in the lock, the door opened slightly without needing to be unlocked. The blood drained from her face as she pushed it all the way open. Emma racked her brain. In her haste to leave, did she remember to lock the door? Could there be someone in the process of robbing her right now? Was she going to become the breaking news tomorrow morning on channel WKRV? Emma shook her head. She was listening to too many true crime podcasts and was now overreacting. She quietly stepped into the foyer and heard talking coming from her living room. Emma gingerly sat the typewriter down inside the front door and picked up a baseball bat she named Otis that she kept near the entrance of her apartment as a way to defend against intruders. She never dreamed she'd have to use him, but now, here she was wrapping her fingers around the worn bat, gripping it like Babe Ruth ready to take someone's head off if need be. She crept along the wall of the front hallway while her heart raced. Emma braced herself and counted to three before she peered around the corner into the living room. With Otis poised over her head, ready to lower it into the intruder, Emma moved closer to the man who was sitting on her couch watching television. The audacity of this criminal to come in here and watch my TV. Why couldn't he be just a normal burglar and just steal my stuff and get out? Just as she was ready to slam Otis into this person's skull, the man turned and a flash of recognition came across her face. What the hell, Noah? Emma asked. Noah turned around, startled, and saw his armed girlfriend standing behind him for the first time. Whoa, you know it isn't nice to sneak up on people, especially with that in your hand. Emma relaxed and returned the bat to her side. I didn't think I was sneaking up behind someone in my own apartment. Especially when said someone left the door unlocked, making me think I was walking into a robbery in progress. Noah smiled and ran his hands through his chocolate-colored hair. He loved how she inserted words that she heard from her podcast into everyday conversations. He walked to her side, took the bat from her, and tossed it gently on a nearby chair. He ran his hands down her arms and brought them up to a circle of his shoulders in a hug. I thought you would be here, but when you didn't answer, I decided to let myself in and wait. Where were you anyway? He asked. Noah turned and leaned over the couch to grab the remote and shut off the TV so he could hear Emma better. A smile grew across Emma's face as she held up one finger, meaning for him to wait a moment, and left to get her purchase.
I went to get myself a little inspiration, she said, while pulling the typewriter from the box. I found this in hopes it would help stir some creativity. Nella, who was a computer programmer and embraced all of the latest technology, muttered Luddite under his breath before chuckling. What do you want to do with an old typewriter? Do you know how difficult these things are to use? What is wrong with your computer? Nothing is wrong with my computer, Noah, she said. Emma crossed her arms over her chest and looked away from her boyfriend. Something came over me to buy a typewriter. I just get this feeling that if I use this to do a little brainstorming, it might help me come up with um, some new ideas. Noah sighed as Emma left the room to go to the kitchen. She pulled out a bottle of wine she failed to finish last night and poured herself a glass. Emma thought it's five o'clock somewhere. She justified her midday drinking. She went back into the living room, wine glass in hand, and flopped down on the couch next to Noah. Emma leaned against him and rested her head on the soft blue flannel shirt he was wearing. She breathed in deep as cologne, and the scent of sandalwood and oranges helped calm her mind. Frankly, I've hit a creative brick wall, and my editor is barking at me every day to give him a new manuscript for the third book. But no matter how hard I try, I can't get the words on the page. Noah turned and kissed her on top of her head before putting her hand in his. I want you to realize you are a successful writer because of your ideas. Using a typewriter won't give you anything you already don't have. However, if it makes you happy, and if you feel it will get you the creative juices flowing, then so be it. Emma continued to sit there, feeling foolish, thinking a typewriter would solve all of her problems. Noah let go of Emma's hand, jumped off the couch, and grabbed the box at Emma's feet. He walked toward her office and put the new purchase in the center of the desk, just like Hemingway. It really does bring something to the room, he said. What do you say we celebrate your new purchase and go out to dinner? Emma planted a kiss on Noah's cheek. His suggestion seemed to lift her spirits. Sounds good, she said. Noah turned to leave the office and walked down the hall. Let me use the bathroom first, he said. While he was gone, Emma stood in her office and looked at the worn typewriter. It felt like it had always been there, and Emma had a hard time remembering what it looked like before its arrival. As she turned to leave, Emma glanced at the photo of Hemingway's office and saw the majestic typewriter on the author's desk. She was lost in the photo when she felt a chill run down her spine and saw a shadow reflecting off the glass of the photo. When she whirled around, the room was empty. I'm ready if you are, Sanoa. Are you all right? Look like you're lost or something. Emma looked at her boyfriend and then shook away the uneasiness she was feeling. It must have just been a shadow or even my own reflection. No, I'm fine. Just waiting for you. Let's go. Noah and Emma bundled up and headed out into the cold as the afternoon was turning into evening. opened her eyes, the morning light blinded her. She rubbed her temples as she felt her head was going to crack open. She rolled over to look at the clock. Its red numbers were flashing 10 a.m. I guess drinking a whole bottle of wine wasn't such a good idea, she said. Anastasia, seeing Emma awake, slinked over and gently potted her to make sure she was alive and well enough to feed her. Emma sat up in the bed trying to fight the feeling of the room spinning. She threw back the covers and shuffled her aching body into the bathroom where she filled a glass with water before reaching into the medicine cabinet for aspirin to help cure her hangover. 
Figuring a hot shower would at least make the achiness go away, Emma turned on the water and stepped into the warm and welcoming steam. When she finished, Emma fed Anna, made breakfast, got dressed, and finally went into her office. The excitement of trying out her new purchase from yesterday was the only thing that made the morning bearable. As she opened the office door, Emma was greeted with a surprise. A sheet of paper was already in the typewriter. When she went around the desk to sit down, Emma could see the page was already filled with text. She put down her steaming cup of coffee and read the paper protruding from the top. The little girl who wore her dark hair and twin braids cascading down the side of her head bounded down the road while skipping rope. Her new pink sweatshirt that read cutie in metallic letters gleamed in the sun. Suddenly, out of the corner of her eye, a beautiful butterfly fluttered in front of her and then continued down a side street. The girl followed the butterfly as it ducked through a chain-linked fence and into darkness. Puzzled, Emma looked at the paper. She couldn't remember writing any of this. It didn't have anything to do with vampire teens and angsty love, so it didn't seem like her usual work. But who else could it have been? Realization dawned on Emma. She reached into her pocket for her phone, dialed a phone number, and waited. Hey, sweetie, uh, quick question. Did you do any writing on my new typewriter? There was silence as Emma listened to Noah explain how he didn't have anything to do with it. They talked for a little, making plans for that evening, before she hung up and then returned to the typewriter. She settled into her seat, took a swig of coffee, and decided to continue the story that was already started for her. For the next three hours, Emma weaved a tale about the little girl Carly and how she followed the butterfly into a world of darkness that was full of nightmarish creatures who were twisted forms of people she knew and loved in the real world. The story was turning into a dark and evil Wizard of Oz, except every character was more Wicked Witch from the West instead of Glenda. Emma told of the girl's parents and sister, who in the real world diligently looked for her and vowed to never give up. When Emma reached the part of the story where Carly was trapped inside of the abandoned Lakewood amusement park, she heard a large crash somewhere in the apartment. The sudden noise snapped her focus from the written world she had created back to her apartment. As the hairs on her arms stood up, she pushed away from the typewriter and walked to her office door. She didn't know what came over her and she felt she was in a trance-like state while writing her story. Emma wasn't just writing about Carly. She could feel Carly. She was scared when Carly was alone and lost more hope each day she was away from her family. If Carly had tears running down her face, so did Emma. Emma shook her head trying to clear away the fog left behind from Lakewood Amusement Park and went to investigate the noise. In the hallway, she looked out the window and saw it had turned to night. How long was I writing? This never happens. As Emma carefully walked into the living room, she began to grow afraid. It wasn't like her to lose track of time like this. She looked at the table behind her couch and saw the answering machine was blinking a red number one. She had missed a call while writing? She never even heard the phone ring. Emma walked over to press the play button on the machine and heard a crunch under the slipper of her left foot. When she looked down, Emma saw the remains of a water glass lying on the floor in a pool of sparkling glitter. She had no idea what caused the glass to be smashed on the floor like this. She was starting to panic. Emma could feel her chest starting to tighten like a corset being laced. She screwed her eyes shut and began to breathe four counts in, hold for four more counts, and release the breath for eight. Eventually, Emma was able to calm down enough to take care of the mess. 
She went to the kitchen, grabbed a dustpan and broom, and swept away the debris. Emma was lucky she had slippers on, or else she would be picking glass out of the bottom of her feet. Emma eventually chalked it up to Anna trying to vie for attention by knocking down a glass she had left on an end table. But when she stood up to empty the dustpan, Emma saw the glass had broken too far away from furniture. It would have had to have been thrown with great force to end up there. Her mind was already reeling from writing so much, she shrugged it off for the moment and walked back over to play the answer machine message. Hi, honey. It's your mom. I was wondering if you'd like to get lunch sometime this week and catch up. It's been a while. Give me a call. Love you. Emma loved the sound of her mom's warm sing-song voice. She made a mental note to call her back tomorrow. But now her rumpling stomach was telling her to find something to eat. It seemed like the hunger hit her out of nowhere. Emma opened the freezer door and was greeted with a blast of cold air that felt good on her flushed face. She reached toward the back and pulled out a frozen TV dinner. Sometimes I think you eat better than I do, Anna, she said. The cat looked up from lazily cleaning her paw on her cat bed in the corner of the room to give her a slight meow. Emma walked over to the microwave, popped in the meal, and set the timer. While her dinner was cooking, she decided to make a copy of the progress she had made on her manuscript and send it along to her editor, Alan Preachman. It's a little different than what I usually write, but at least it will give him something to read. She scanned the typewritten pages, attached them in an email, and shot everything to her editor. Right after she hit send, her microwave dinged. She left the office and walked back to the kitchen to pick up her dinner before sitting in front of the television to watch an episode of American Pickers. After finishing dinner, Emma could feel her eyes growing heavy and she struggled to stay awake. Feeling like she accomplished a lot of work during the day, Emma decided to go to bed early. She changed into her pajamas and pulled back the sheets so she could crawl under the downy soft covers. As she rolled over on her side to get comfortable, her foot hit something near the bottom of the bed. One end of it was cold while the long end was smooth. Emma sighed. All she wanted to do was sleep, but she knew she had to take care of this first. She reached down under the covers toward her feet and grabbed onto the mysterious object. It was long, smooth, and soft to the touch. When her hand emerged, she had her fingers wrapped around a belt. Well, at least it looked like part of a belt. I'm not sure how this got here, but it must have gotten tangled in the sheets when I was doing laundry. Emma dropped the slick leather belt on the floor and decided to worry about it tomorrow morning as sleep was starting to cloud her eyes. That night, Emma didn't sleep very well. She tossed and turned while battling her way through a nightmare. In her restless dream world, Emma found herself stuck in a small room. There was only a little window with bars on one side and an opening covered with more bars on a heavy metal door. The opening prevented Emma from any hope of escape. Besides a lumbering iron bed in one corner of the room, there was also a plain wooden desk with white paper and her typewriter. Emma felt terror creeping in on her. She opened her mouth to let out a blood-curdling scream when the heavy door swung open. Before she had a chance to see who opened the door, Emma woke with a start. Her bed sheets were soaked and her body was covered in a sheen of sweat. Emma looked around and saw she was safe in her apartment and the morning sun was starting to creep into her windows. She was never so happy to see Monday morning than she was now. She rubbed her eyes and tried to massage the sweat from her skin, but she couldn't stand the thought of its stickiness. Emma got out of bed and walked to her bathroom to take a shower. She let the warm jets pound her skin in hopes of washing away the horrible memory of being a prisoner in that room. 
she remembered the way it felt to be surrounded by the cold cinder walls and the Spartan furnishings. Just thinking of it now made her chest start to tighten and panic creep into her throat. Under the water, Emma shook her head and pushed away the nightmare with thoughts of her book and what plans she had for Carly next. She stepped out of the shower and got dressed for the day before walking into her office to check her email. She hoped Alan had responded to the partial manuscript she had sent him. When she switched on the light above her desk, Emma saw all of her typewritten pages were crumpled into violent-looking balls and shoved into her trash can. Emma became immediately scared. She knew she didn't destroy her work like this and was worried about how it happened. She reached into the wastebasket and tried to salvage the documents by uncrumpling and smoothing them on the desk with her hand. Luckily, she was able to get the majority of wrinkles out. Then a light bulb went off. She had digital copies. She could feel some of the anxiety fade away. After making a light breakfast, Emma positioned herself in front of the typewriter to continue Carly's story. No matter how hard she tried, Carly kept falling down the shaft that was under the carousel. She dug her fingernails into the wall in hopes of clawing her way out of the darkness, but had no success. All she was left with was the bloody reminder of where her nails used to be on her nail bed. Her fingers were getting sore and bruised as she fell down into the depths again. Emma continued her story and switched to the perspective of the parents and sister as they organized the search party that was looking for Carly. While the group was assembling, the sister seemed to be holding back information about Carly and any thoughts she might have about where she could be. While she was typing, her computer made a noise to the side of her. Emma slid her desk chair over to it and jiggled the mouse to take it out of sleep mode. She typed her password to unlock the screen where she opened her email to find a response from Alan, her editor. Emma, received your manuscript. As your editor and friend, I feel like I need to tell you this is a lot different from your usual novels and it is a tad dark and frightening. The lovesick teens who read your novels are your bread and butter will be turned off by this divergence from your usual stuff. Are you sure this is what you want to submit as your next book? Call me, we need to talk about Carly. Emma shut the lid to her laptop with a huff. Alan had been hassling her about handing over any type of novel attempt and now he wants to be picky? But Emma didn't care what he said or even what her readers thought. She knew what she was writing would be a hit. Deep down inside, Emma knew she couldn't stop writing it. She was being compelled to write the story. A part of her even worried if she didn't finish it, then Carly would be lost forever. Emma looked away from the computer toward the clock on the wall. The hand stretched and touched the numbers to make it 2 p.m. She had forgotten she called her mom earlier in the morning and would have to leave soon to meet her for a late lunch. They had planned to try the new Italian bistro two blocks away from her apartment. Just as she was putting on her shoes, there was a knock at the door. Emma shuffled toward it with one shoe on and the other in her hand. She tentatively peered out the peephole and saw her mom standing there. Emma reached for the deadbolt and unlocked the door. Not even late yet. Give me some credit, said Emma while leaning over to put on her other shoe. I was just on my way to meet you. Her mother pushed past her and into the foyer with a worried expression on her face. I thought maybe we could chat a little before we went out, she said, taking a seat on the blue couch in the living room. Taken aback, Emma walked over and sat beside her, moving one of the fuchsia floral throw pillows out of the way before putting it over her lap while tucking her legs underneath her. You have such a beautiful view from here, she said, trying to make polite conversation, before she got into the meat of why she was at her daughter's apartment in the first place instead of meeting her at the restaurant like they had planned. Emma, can I be honest? Emma laughed. 
It was a combination between amusement and frustration. When haven't you been? She replied under her breath. But all her mother heard was, sure. I'm worried you aren't taking care of your personal life. You work in your novels all the time, and I'm concerned you're going to become so absorbed into them, you won't have time for your real life. I worry you're living in a fantasy world of your own creation. Emma unfolded her legs and stood up from the couch to look at her mother. She was hurt and couldn't believe what she was saying. Sure, Emma had recently become absorbed in her work, but she had Noah in her life. A boyfriend should count for something. Emma put her hands on her hips. Mom, I'm perfectly happy where I am. Noah and I are doing great. I'm fine. If there was a problem, I would let you know. Emma's mother sighed. Making her daughter upset was the last thing she wanted to do. She reached down and held Emma's hand while looking at her with eyes full of sadness. Before Emma could say anything about how she shouldn't be pitying her, her mom's phone rang. She reached for her purse and searched through it. When she found the phone, her mom walked back into the foyer before she answered. From the bits and pieces of the conversation, Emma could understand it was her father on the other end. She had no idea what they were talking about, but Emma could tell by her mother's nervous pacing it wasn't good. Her mom hung up and came back into the room. Emma, honey, I know I just got here, but I have to go. Your father's car just broke down, and I need to pick him up from the garage. Emma looked at her mom, disappointed they wouldn't be going to lunch together. She felt that all her mother did was swoop in to insult her life and then run away, leaving her hurt and bruised. But she never shared how she really felt. Please tell me you will take care of yourself, and if you need help or someone to talk to, please call me. Mom, I will. Stop worrying. Emma's mother put her coat on and gave her daughter a tight squeeze before she left. After locking the door behind her, a disappointed and confused Emma walked back to her office to continue writing. Her work seemed to be the only constant in her life recently. For once in her life, Emma felt she was heading in the right direction. Noah was a great guy and they had been going strong for about a year now. She even thought a proposal might be in her near future. Emma thought that maybe if she was married, her mom would finally see her as stable and wouldn't worry so much now that she had a family of her own. Her books were also having a big impact on her life. No longer was she a struggling writer trying to get anyone to take her seriously. Now everyone was waiting for her next book to come out. She finally had a comfortable life because of a career she loved. And now she turned a corner with her new book. Things were especially turning the corner since she found her muse, the typewriter. Emma placed her fingers on the keys. Since she wasn't going to lunch, she figured she might as well start writing. Her creative juices began to flow like gasoline through the engine of a sports car. Her fingers typed fast and full of fury over the keys as ideas came to her. Her hands had a difficult time keeping up with her head as she finished weaving the story of Carly, the lost little girl on the dark side of the world. I'm here, said Carly as she pounded on the mirror in the bedroom she shared with her sister. Please look at me. Carly pounded with all the strength her weakened little body could manage, but her sister kept reading her book, never once glancing in her direction. A tear-stained Carly turned away from the mirror and walked hopelessly into the darkness to try and find another way back into her world. As Emma typed the last few words on the book, she felt a huge weight lifted from her chest and her body settled into complete exhaustion. It was as if she had been holding her breath for a long time now and felt safe to let it all out. The relief was immense. She had no idea this novel took so much out of her. But looking back at the huge stack of papers on her desk, Emma wasn't surprised at how tired she was. 
she had managed to write a complete 250-page novel in just seven days. Sleep weighed heavily on Emma, so she picked herself out of the desk chair and shuffled into her bedroom. Unable to even change her clothes, Emma sank into the bed and drowsily pulled her legs under the covers as she drifted off to sleep, free from the compulsion to keep writing. Feeling like she had slept for a full week straight, Emma strained to open her eyes. She rubbed them to break apart the crust of sleep. When she first started to open them, Emma couldn't see anything because the light streaming from the window was too bright. But when her eyes adjusted, she let out a scream of terror, surrounding her with the same cinder block walls, barred windows, and heavy steel door from her dream. I must be still asleep. This isn't real. Emma reached down to pinch her flesh between her fingernails and was surprised when she felt a shock of pain. In her state, Emma tried to get out of bed, but found herself tangled in the blankets. Once freed, she ripped the sheets from the bed in her anger and saw two leather straps lying at the corners of the bottom of the bed. Panic rose in her chest and the familiar tightening started to happen. No breathing exercise was going to be able to calm her down, and Emma knew she had to get help quickly. She ran for the door and started pummeling her fist and screaming to be let out. Her hands were starting to throb and her throat was becoming raw. While she was leaning against the cold metal door, she heard the clanking of a key being fit into the keyhole as the door unlocked. She backed away and sunk to the floor as a familiar scent of sandalwood and orange filled her nose. Relief immediately flooded Emma's brain and her heart started to slow when she saw Noah walk in. She ran towards him and threw her arms around his neck. Noah, I'm so glad to see you. I was terrified and alone and now I feel so much better. Let's get out of here, she said. Emma breathed deep with each inhale bringing back pleasant memories of the two of them. Noah pulled back from her and held her at arm's length while trying to pry her away from him. Miss, I'm going to need you to sit down and have a seat away from the door, he said. Noah guided her back to a desk that was along one side of the ramp before he forced her to bend and sit in the chair. Noah, what's wrong? Don't you recognize me? It's Emma, your girlfriend. We have to hurry up and get out of here. Emma tried to fight and push against Noah. She couldn't understand why he was trying to force her into this chair, but no matter how hard she fought, Noah was too strong. Emma's head and heart started to swirl. She wasn't sure what was going on. Why doesn't Noah know who I am? What happened? Emma had to wake up from this horrible nightmare. Seeing she wasn't going to move on her own, Noah guided and pushed Emma to the chair that was next to the black typewriter and stuffed calico cat. Emma, confused, tried to push her way past the man she thought was her boyfriend, the man she had dreams about a future with. Hell, she was even dreaming about what their future family would look like and how happy her mother would be to finally have a grandchild. While Emma was thinking all about her dreams that would never happen, Noah reached into the pocket of his white pants and pulled out a syringe. He gripped the plastic covering in his teeth, jammed the needle into Emma's upper arm, and pressed the plunger to dispense the clear liquid directly into her bloodstream. Noah, what the hell are you doing? What's wrong with you? I love you! No matter how much she begged and pleaded with him, Noah's face remained distant and stoic. Like all the words and emotions she was hurling toward him meant nothing. As Emma sat in the chair, feeling the cold metal pierce her flesh, she looked at Noah's shirt and saw a name badge attached with a small clip that read, Noah Sanders, Orderly, St. Francis de Sales Hospital. Emma felt the drug begin to take its effect and she started to relax. 
All of her muscles that were stretched tight like a rubber band on the verge of snapping now felt like overcooked pasta from a chain Italian restaurant. It was like she was floating in the ocean, just bobbing along like a carefree seagull, rising and falling with the tide. She no longer felt fear pumping through her veins, but a euphoria-like state had replaced it. She's ready for you now, Dr. Preachman, said Noah. He stepped out of the way for another man to enter before he left. Passing through the doorway was a tall, older man with salt and pepper hair and a mustache that matched. He looked like the type of man that could turn off his kindness with a switch. One minute he'd be taking his grandson fishing, and the next minute he was getting down to business at his job. But Emma felt his kindness won out most of the time. She didn't know this man until now, but she felt like she could trust him. After all, he was her editor. Finally, someone will listen to me. He grabbed a nearby chair, hiked up his pant legs, and sat down opposite Emma. He was poised with a clipboard in one hand, a pen in the other, and a serious expression across his face. Do you know who I am? he asked. Emma wrinkled her face in disgust. Alan, I'm not in the mood for games. You're my editor, Alan Preachman. The man made a few markings on his clipboard. He stopped writing and looked up at Emma. His expression had softened and was now replaced with a look of kindness mixed with sadness. You're half right. My name is Alan Preachman, but I'm not your editor, Emma. I'm your doctor here at St. Francis. Emma's mind began to swim. She wasn't sure if it was from the injected drugs or if she was really confused. Why is Alan playing this game with me? If he's trying to get payback for not having my manuscript in on time, I'm going to be very upset with him. Emma began digging her nails into the palms of her hands in an attempt to pull herself from the pool her brain was starting to sink into. She needed clarity. Emma, do you know why you were here? he asked. Dr. Preachman reached over to her and grabbed her wrist to take her pulse and to prevent her nails from drawing blood from her already scarred palms. This was obviously something she did regularly when she was upset. No, Alan, why don't you tell me? she answered. Dr. Preachman slumped back into his chair, tired from having to do this routine another time. Emma... Do you remember when you were about 12 years old, your sister Carly disappeared one day while you were playing? You were with her and said she left to go follow a butterfly. When she went through a chain-linked fence, you said the darkness swallowed her up. You ran home and told your parents and a search party was organized. Emma slouched in the seat trying to rack her brain. This never happened in her real life, she told herself. For three days, the party searched for your sister and for three days, you blamed yourself. You told me you felt like you could have done more. At the end of the third day, your sister was found at the amusement park. Emma sat forward so she could look closer into Alan's eyes. If she saw them better, maybe she would see he was lying. No, Alan, Carly isn't real. That's just the plot of my newest novel. The doctor took a deep breath before continuing. You refused to accept her death, and you kept saying that wasn't her body because she could still feel her presence. You said it was a sister thing. Dr. Preachman searched Emma for any flashes of recognition. When there wasn't, he continued with the story. Last year on the 15th anniversary of your sister's death, you thought you saw her in the mirror and tried to break it with your fist to get her out. Your mother, who was worried about you, came to visit you at your apartment. She found you covered in blood, surrounded by pieces of the mirror. You were inconsolable, so your mother and father thought it would be best to check you in here under my care. Emma sat silently for a while, trying to take in everything the man had just told her. She began to play with the thread that came loose on her pajamas. 
She wound it around her finger and pulled it tightly, cutting off circulation, just to watch her pale skin turn red, then purple. Was he trying to trick me? This seemed possible. Emma strained herself in the chair the best she could and stared at Alan dreamily. Why are you lying to me, Alan? You know I'm a successful young adult novelist. I told you before, you are my editor, and the story you're talking about is the one I sent you. It's going to be my newest novel. You even said it was too dark for my audience of lovesick teens. Alan looked at Emma with pain in his eyes. Emma, you think you are a famous novelist. In your mind, you've taken the identity of your favorite author, Carrie Austin. A few weeks ago, you asked for a typewriter because you were convinced it would be your muse. We gave it to you because we thought it might provide a way to work through your repressed memories, especially since you were opening up about your sister for the first time in a long time. That's not true, said Emma. She fought to stand up from the chair and to break through the surface of her drug-induced haze. Emma wobbled over to the nightstand next to her bed and grabbed the photo of Hemingway's office. I had this photo. I looked at it and thought a typewriter like this would inspire me, so I went to the thrift store and bought one. Emma could feel herself becoming frantic again. She tried to slow and control her breathing. It helped a little, but she still felt like a runaway train ready to jump its tracks. She ran her hands through her hair and wrapped her fingers around the dark strands. She began to pull and tear at her scalp to relieve some of the pressure. But the only thing she accomplished was having clumps of her hair, the ends tainted with blood, coming out in her hands. Sandalwood and orange floated into the room again as Noah came back and helped Emma to her chair. This time he remained standing behind her. There was a man there. He sold it to me. You can go and talk to him at the store called Grandma's Treasures, said Emma. Her words were rolling around in her mouth and her head. She wasn't even sure if she believed herself anymore. It seemed like someone else was reaching around in her brain, taking her thoughts and twisting them so they would come out differently. Dr. Preachman sighed heavily from his seat. He stood up, opened the door, and stepped out for a moment, not closing it all the way, keeping his foot in the jam. The scent of heavy aftershave, the kind an older man would wear, sailed into the room in front of a gentleman with a kind smile. It was the man who sold her the typewriter from the store. Emma's heart started to flutter. She felt vindicated, and finally things would start to make sense. Her editor would believe her, and this whole thing would just be a confusing mix-up that her and Noah would laugh about later. Is this who you're talking about? asked the doctor. Yes, that's him, said Emma. She grabbed the edge of the metal chair with one hand while pointing at the man with the other. This is Gary. He works here. He's the one who brought the typewriter to your room after you asked for it, Emma. You haven't left this facility in over a month. With that, Dr. Preachman nodded a silent thank you at the man who turned and left the room. Emma couldn't believe what she was hearing. She knew she had been out of this room. In fact, this was the first she had seen of this room except for the few nightmares she had. What is happening to me? Dr. Preachman returned to his seat and began to talk to Emma again. After one of the orderlies accidentally broke a glass on the floor and it shattered into pieces, you became upset because it brought back memories of the mirror that you broke at your house. Your writing became more agitated and so did you. We discussed it and thought it was best to destroy your manuscript and throw it away in your trash can. But before the can could be emptied, you found it. You were so angry that you started to work on it again even more fiercely than before. During your computer time, you sent the manuscript to me as your editor. That is why we need to talk about Carly. So here we are. 
Alan made another note before he continued. The only sound in the room was the scratching of the pen on paper. We even called your mother to pay you a visit. She tried to stay for a while, but it was too hard on her. So she left shortly after she got here. Emma's head began to spin. She was not sure what reality was anymore. She felt alone and frightened like a lost child. As fear consumed her, she let out a howard scream while she pushed herself out of the chair and shoved Alan away when he got up to try and control her. Before she could wrap her fingers around the frigid metal handle of the door, she felt a sharp, biting pain in her neck. Suddenly, the world faded away and she fell into a deep sleep as her body slumped to the ground. Emma stared out into the darkness and screamed for someone to help her. As her eyes adjusted to the lack of light, she saw a little girl with dark braids and a pink sweatshirt with cutie written in metallic letters come skipping over to her. Hello, Emma. I've been waiting for you. enjoyed this special Halloween edition of Sagas of Seraphim Falls. To hear more about Emma's fate and her friends Carl, Jonas, Cassie, Liz, and many more, purchase a copy of Seraphim Falls in paperback and ebook formats at www.terrorackamber.com or wherever books are available online. If you have read Seraphim Falls, welcome home. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a review on Amazon and let me know what you liked. For information on new releases, podcasts, and more, sign up for the newsletter on terrarackamber.com. Until next time, keep your friends close and your neighbors closer. Happy Halloween! <laughs>